Well, at the end of the music, you know what it is. This is the Obsessible Podcast. And on this show, I talk TV and movies like I will with my girls, my colleagues, my booze, my bays, and strangers. <laughs> you ask me, if you are a stranger on the street and you see me and you ask me about the wheel time, we are going to talk about it, honey. Okay. This is a safe place for wheel of time discussions. This is episode six of my Wheel of Time review series, and this will be the review of episode eight, the season finale of the show titled The Eye of the World. After feeling like a vindicated and slightly bamboozled book reader because we got scenes that we thought up until this point we wouldn't get from episode seven, I trepidatiously started episode eight. I will also say I saw leaked scenes on Reddit and got super excited about what they could mean as they were woefully out of context. If you haven't listened to any of my previous Wheel of Time review shows, here's how I go about it. In each episode, I do a breakdown and review of the episode, follow that up with my favorite character moment, then a character that I hate moment. But for the second episode in the row, I don't have a hated character moment. So we're going to skip it this time. Then... I will rate the episode and then I wrap it up with Twitter me laughing featuring some of the best tweets or some nice tweets or cool tweets or good tweets or interesting tweets that I've come across about the show. If you're new here, welcome to the Obsessible Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, also known as Nikki to my besties. And if you're listening, we are now totally besties. We are BFFs and bonded for life, especially since you're over here listening to Wheel of Time content because yeah, that definitely makes us family. Thank you so much for listening. Tell another friend so that we can keep building this tribe. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow. Warning, warning, warning. There will be spoilers for the books and for the show in this episode. So watch first and then listen. Considering that the episode has been out for about a week now, it is actually New Year's Eve and very late. We're on the last hour of 2021. And this is when I'm doing my recording because I refuse, honey. I refuse. I am not doing this recording tomorrow. Okay, so I am going to get this done and get it in and post it and then I will promote it. <laughs> but it is going up tonight in less than an hour. So I'm sure that you've probably already seen the episode, which I'm really grateful for I, well, because you're listening. And so that's going to be good. You're not going to be surprised by, by what you hear. But it's time to go. It's time to get into it. Let's get started. Go grab a snack, grab a drink, go for a walk, cozy up in your favorite spot. And press play. The men will hold the gap. And if we cannot, the women will hold the city. It is what our family has done for a thousand years. What we face today is five times the size of what's come before. We cannot... You're right, sister. You were right all along. We should have asked the White Tower for aid long ago. Today, Taiwan's gap will fall. And then this city will fall after, no matter what we do. Kind of a tragic, tragic way to start, but unfortunately, that's kind of how I feel about this episode. <laughs> a little tragic. Um, I was blindsided by this one. So let me get it. Let's Let's jump right into the review. In the cold open another cold open. So the entire season had cold open. So cold open number eight, we get a flashback to 3000 years in the past. And we see Luz Theron, the previous dragon reborn, having a conversation with the Tamerlan Sea. So remember at this time, there were male Aes Sedai. And 
female Asadai. He's having a conversation with her about how to go about defeating the Dark One. They're in the midst of a war, okay? And she predicts that expose, that his plan will fail because if he goes about doing it the way he wants to do it with the other male channelers, he could potentially expose the Dark One to the One Power, the male half of the One Power, allowing him to corrupt it and causing all of those who are involved to destroy the world and be corrupted themselves. This cold open was amazing because it, it leans very heavily into what we suspect that the current age that our characters are living in is one of a fallen world. And that when Luz Theron lived, lived and was alive 3000 years in the past, civilization was far more advanced. We get a peek out the window and we know and now discover that to be 100% accurate. So it's not so much that these male channelers broke the world. I mean, they plunged the world into a dark age is what ended up happening. And it took several years for that to actually happen. It didn't happen all at once. Um, so the breaking happens over a series of years. Okay. But I loved to see that. I love to see how they were modern, well, far more advanced than even we are now. And um, <clears throat> I love the way that they were dressed. And baby, Luz Theron is fine. He fine, fine. I was like, but, but. I wasn't expecting him to be so daggone good looking, but almost everybody in this show is really good looking. So I shouldn't have been really surprised by that. But I was just like, um, sir, wow, <laughs> you cute. Um, but here's the interesting thing. If the Tamerlan seat and the female Aes Sedai had worked with the male Aes Sedai at that time, whether they agreed with the plan or not, it would have actually succeeded. I realize that's a really big spoiler, so I'm really sorry, but <laughs> it would have worked. And so he was right in that they should work together. She was right in that it could cause mass destruction. They were both right. And had they put aside their differences to work together, things would be very different and the world would have remained the way that they had experienced it. Highly civilized, highly advanced, um, highly opportunistic, right? Okay, so that was our cold opening. So I literally was very surprised by that. I wasn't expecting that we were going to get that. Um, and I totally had forgotten that Luz Theron had been cast. So uh, I wasn't sure when he would show up. And I, th the show basically took my mind completely off of him. So I wasn't even expecting to see him. So that was really, really cool. So from there, we dive back into the action into present day. And we... Um, we see that the story is going to now have multiple arcs in this one episode. So we have Ran and Moraine heading to the eye of the world. And then we have the remaining Emmons Fielders. Ran and, Mar Ran and Moraine are in the blight. And Rand is kind of discovering that perhaps he didn't know what the heck he was getting into and what he had signed up for, which is classic Rand. Um, very, he's very much like do, thinking that he's doing the right thing until he sees evidence to the contrary. But I kind of guess that a rotted and clearly infested corpse will do that to just about anybody. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't even have made it into the blight, okay? I would have got to the edge and been like, we got to figure out another way. Or we're taking an army because I am not going in there with just you, okay? Like, I just feel like this is not enough. This is insufficient. Can we put a, a shield around me? Like, what can you really do with the one power? Like, I would have had a lot of questions and I would have been making a lot of demands, okay? Anyway, back at Faldara Keep, Perrin is trying to convince a frantic Egwene that she cannot go running off into the blight to find Rand and Moraine as they don't know where they are going and that in all likelihood they would die. Perrin and his logic win out 
but Egwene is obviously still quite scared for her little boo-boo, right? And who wouldn't who wouldn't be? Like she wake up, she wakes up, they wake up and discover that he's completely gone and basically into the most hellish place. And there's a chance that he won't even make it back. Like, hello? Of course, anyone would naturally would be devastated. They kind of make up, have a little moment about what had happened the night before. They don't really address it, but they basically land on the same page that they are still going to continue to be there for each other, which is obviously the most important part about <clears throat> their relationship and all the relationships within the, the Emmons Fielders, between the Emmons Fielders. In any case, Nynaeve does what she always seems to do um, during this season when she's feeling uncertain and scared. She goes off to go find Lan. And when she does, she explains to him that she, in fact, was tracking Moraine from the two rivers to Shadarlogoth and that she can tell him how to do it. And she just kind of allows him to go off and go solve this issue, which is growth for Nynaeve, but almost a little too soon because Nynaeve that the Nynaeve I know would have been like you are not leaving me behind whatsoever I am coming with you but she allows him to go and do this without her so she shows him or tells him how to go about doing it and this gives Lan the opportunity to head off after Moraine without needing the bond to find her that leaves Perrin, Egwene, and Nynaeve to kind of figure out what happened the night before and naturally that leads them to Min but Min being who she is does not give any insight what I did there into what she saw and it is at that moment when the horns start to blow and they discover that Faldar is now under attack so now they have bigger fish to fry do they leave the city or do they stay and fight right so while they're trying to figure this out Loyal steps in and is basically like the ladies have made a, um <clears throat> helps the ladies at least make the choice to stay as he tells them that all the women who can channel have been called to present themselves to Lady Amalisa by the way, sorry, I just have to, I have to make note of this. Last episode, I kept calling her Lady Agomar. Like, why? I know her name is Amalisa. <laughs> like, that is not her name. Her name is Lady Ab Amalisa, not Lady Agomar. Like, ugh. Like, Agomar, I was using it in the context that Agomar was her last name, but Agomar is literally Lord Agomar's first name. Girl, like, how many times have you read, have you read the book and, like, mm. anyway, forgive me for that. Okay. Back on topic. On the topic of Lady Amelisa and Lord Agamar, the two kind of have this moment while he is suiting up where they talk about the traditions of their house and how Lord Agamar should wear his grandfather's armor. But he kind of digresses, chooses that he wants to wear his own and feels like that he would be more comfortable. He also acknowledges that he should not have been full of pride, which is what you heard in the open, and should have called for help from the Aes Sedai when he had the chance. He promises to do what he can and at the gap, and Lady Amalisa promises to not allow the city that has never fallen to fall. So by the way, that is not really the full order of events, but it is exactly what happened. Okay. So if you haven't, if you watch the episode, and you're like, girl, wait, hold on. That didn't happen yet. That didn't. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I just bunched it all together. Okay. So <laughs> flashback to the blight and we are, we have a sleeping Rand who kind of jumps out of his sleep as a carpet of moss attempts to take him. Moraine immediately asks him what is wrong and is summarily impaled for her efforts. Like, sword chewed him out. Like, eh? I was like, hmm, definitely a dream. The dark one, and I put that in quotations, then appears behind her, morphs from the face of flame into that of a rather handsome, quite well-dressed man. This actor is, his name is Ferris Ferris. Um, 
And then he basically begins to tell Rand that he's weak and stupid. <laughs> I was like, uh, he's not wrong on some things. Like, I mean, weak, not necessarily, but without a plan in place. Absolutely. Like, what are you actually guys, what are you guys doing? And why isn't that the only conversation that you guys are having? You should be strategizing the entire time that you guys are walking from the moment you enter the blight. All you guys should have been doing is strategizing. Like, seriously. Um, but Rand being in his own dream and not in the world of dreams or Teleriand, uh, stabs himself through the gut and dies. He wakes up to Moraine asking him what happened just as she had done in the, in the dream. And what did he see? So Rand, ever the stubborn fool, says he doesn't believe anything that the Dark One is saying. But guys, I have a question for you guys. Y'all have figured out that this dude is not the dude, right? Like he's not, he's not the be all end all. He's not the evil one. He's not, it's not him. I really hope you guys have figured that out because one of the things that is very, very important to note is that the show is using a tactic that is straight out of the books and it's called the unreliable narrator. Robert Jordan is literally famous for this. He does this extremely well. And he does it throughout the entire se series. Most of the time, people in the books are making observations um, are wrong about the, what they're observing and the conclusions that they draw as a result. So they see something, they think they understand what they're seeing, they draw a conclusion and it's all wrong. Like what they saw, what their perception is wrong, their conclusions are wrong, it's all wrong. And But the problem is that big decisions are made off of this misperception or misconception that the characters have. I'm not really sure a lot of television shows do that. I'm, I'm trying to think of certain examples, but I can't really. But this is something that you're going to have to get used to because it's a it's pervasive throughout the entire, all of the books and pervasive throughout, uh, and I'm and was pervasive throughout the entire show. So I'm assuming that will continue. Um, anyway, so Ren realizes he doesn't have a plan and demands to know if Moraine does. And also if she can teach him to chant. Obviously she can't, but she is, she assures him that the power will be there when he needs it. And she does that by telling a story of a time when she was in training at the tower and was basically beaten by an Aes Sedai until she channeled giving, which is like a major character spoiler moment. The character she is describing is major, but she hasn't been introduced to the show yet. She needs to be because there was a, there was some concern that she wouldn't be. Um, but I really think, considering they've given us this little Easter egg, that they will. Um, I really hope they do because she is necessary for all of what is to come. And from, she's just necessary. So we really need her in the show. Anyway, from there, she gives Rand a Sa'angriyal. A Sa'angriyal, there are Sa'angriyal, Tarangriyal, and Angriyal. Okay. These are all objects of the one power and they can be used to do different things. Now, Sa'angriyal are the most valuable and they are the most powerful artifact, right? So, and they can be made to either be worked male or female or made to work male only or female only or both. So in this particular instance, she gives him a Sa'angriyal that can be used only by male channelers. This would then make his power amplified to the nth degree, okay? And she says that you're going to use that to defeat the Dark One. Um, which, I was just like, what? She doesn't say you're going to use a weave. She doesn't say, here's the thing though, right? Okay, she doesn't say you're going to use any type of weave. She doesn't even suggest a weave. The problem with that is, just because you can't teach him 
how to channel his power doesn't mean you can't suggest things. Certain things are just what they are. It's either you're using Sidin or you're using Sidar or you're using both, okay? Which is totally an option. But for her to not even suggest anything to him is just literally mind-boggling to him. Like, give him a statue, tell him it's going to amplify his power, tell him the power will be there when he needs it, but then nothing, but that's it. What do you want me to do with the Sangreal? How do I use the Sangreal? Do I hold it out? Do I do I need to hold it out? Do I like nothing? I was just like, what? And that's not even Moraine either. So I'm just kind of like, okay. Anyway, um, yeah. I just was like, I felt like it had it made no sense, and I was like, this he has literally no experience with the power, none. So give him something that he like an idea, an inkling, something you read, something. I just found that very frustrating. Anyway, back at the keep, the city is preparing for war. The armies of both the enemy and the Shinarans are gathering and are setting themselves against each other. And even Egwene head to the gap between the fortress at Tarvin's Gap and the city. Min dips out and is seen hitching a ride on the back of a wagon. Perrin is basically found struggling to deal with how he can help because he's attempting to follow his way of the leaf, which, baby, give it up. These are real dark times. It ain't for you. You know what I'm saying? Um, real stuff is happening and you are a very big person and you need to stand up and do what needs to be done. Okay. Cause they're not going to care and you can't run and hide. So at this point, loyal and his wisdom suggests that they simply ask what can be done? Like, how can we help? Meanwhile, Lord Agamar's soldiers have charged out to the fortress and, um, they have been set the task, um, of, 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 of stopping the army at the gap. He has another set of soldiers that are basically his personal guard. We've seen them. We've seen these guys. They were given another set of instructions. They head to the throne room and they begin to dig up something that is under the throne. We get a quick flash to Lan, who's like moving at a clip to get Rand, to get to Rand and Moraine, who've already arrived at the Eye of the World. Upon entering this, uh, entering the Eye and arriving at the center, Rand kind of feels like he's been there before. And he sees visions of Luz Theron and begins to explain to Moraine what he's seen. Within moments, the Dark One, in quotations, shows up, pushing Rand into a trance, causing Moraine to have to attack him on her own, which he basically insults her. And that results in her being severed from the source. Not stilled, just cut off from it, from access, being able to access it. At first, I kind of thought she was still, but then he explains what he did to her. So I was like, okay so i can kind of basically only surmise that she has just been blocked and shielded from it she can't access it which is fine because someone else can just go in and remove it right meanwhile and actually too she can actually if she worked so this is straight out of the book if depending on how a shield is created you can work at the shield and kind of unravel it like a like knots like pull pieces apart of it uh, like pieces of it apart and it will literally fall apart and fall away Meanwhile, Rand is being enticed by a version of his life involving a home and a child with Egwene back in the two rivers. If you know, this is the same child that was in the vision that Min had in the last episode, so in episode seven. But Rand obviously can't trust his own eyes, as he shouldn't, and realizes that something in this vision is wrong. He tests Egwene by asking her a question only she is able to answer, which I thought was ridiculous because if Egwene is being created from his mind, then everything he knows, she would also know, thus making the test totally invalid. I was like, this makes no sense. Anyway, here comes the dark one, again in quotations, trying to entice Rand and tell him that he is within his power to have this life if he wants it. Back to Moraine, never without a plan, 
tells due to his face after producing a dagger and pressing it into the unconscious Rand's throat that if he makes the wrong choice, she will choose for him. She's like, listen to me. Him not turn to the dog because even turn to the dog, now cut him through it. Simple so. <laughs> well, she did say that's what she would do. So I am not mad at this plan because you, we cannot afford for the dragon reborn to turn to the dark. Period. Okay. Anybody else can? He can't. Rand in the vision is making some decisions and eventually rather than and rather anticlimactically chooses to fight the dark one because the Egwene he loves wants to go to the tower and train to be an Aes Sedai and he is about what she wants not just what he would want for himself. Back at Faldara the Trolloc, the Trolloc army has advanced and made quick work of the garrison at Tarwin's Gap like just laud they didn't like it was like they didn't even have a choice a chance lord agomar dies along with all of his men it would seem leaving the final defenses to the women lady amalisa tells the women to allow her to access the power through them and she joins with them to fight the quickly advancing horde meanwhile there has been a breach in the keep paran fane along with two fates have entered the keep with the help of some dark friends and makes his way to the throne room or at least that's where he's heading where loyal and the soldiers have just dug up the horn of valir now, the Horn of Valir is a ancient artifact that will be used by the dragon or a horn blower to call back the same companions that Luz Theron used in the previous fight to attack the Dark One's armies. And so, but the problem with that is the horn will work for whoever blows it. So that's why Paran Fane comes to steal it in the books the 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 horn of valir is at the eye of the world which is why the group needs to go there in the first place um and why the eye of the world is important not that it's the dark one's prison so that i'm really glad we've cleared that part up by the end of this episode anyway it's cleared up that the eye of the world is not the dark one's prison okay so I just want you guys, because remember I said I was really concerned that they that's what they were doing with this and they were actually going to make it that, but it's not, clearly. Anyway, um, Padan basically then, oh, right. So anyway, let me like catching notes for myself. I'm like, oh no, remember? <laughs> Reminding myself of things I need to say. Anyway, so while that's happening, Perrin kind of glimpses Padon and realizes, wait a minute, because remember, he's been seeing him since they let, they arrived in Faldara. So he's just like, no, 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 no. That's definitely Padon Fane. What is he doing in the keep? So he follows him. And when he arrives at the throne room, literally he's just stabbed Loyal, stabbed him. I'm like, what? The entire... Fa and he stabbed him with the dagger from Shadar Logoth. Sir, how did you get that? Apart from, oh, right, so he does that and then he basically goes on this monologue about how all of them are important and how all of them have a part to play. This is not the, and this is not the end. This is really just the beginning, Widur, um, and all of that. Perrin literally does nothing. The most underutilized character in the entire season, kind of annoying, but whatever. He does nothing. He can do nothing. Granted, there are, are two fades there. But Perrin from episode one, pardon me, Perrin from episode one would have put and tried to put in some work. You know what I mean? And he was strong enough, big enough, powerful enough to do it. 
This parent riddled with self-doubt, riddled with confusion, no clue what to do, just like lost, stands there with an ax in his hand. That's it. After after Padan basically tells him what he needs to tell them, including that some of them may turn to the dark, but that they're all important, which is exactly what men said, aside from the dark thing, um, he just dips out with the horn. Dips. Like, just, I was just like, okay, all right, fine, whatever. Apart from the stabbing, um, Padan stealing the horn is directly from the books, and he does steal it from Faldara. So that is all in keeping. Um, which is the only thing I could really accept from the scene and I accept from the scene and I actually really like like I said I like this version of Padan he's slicker he's slimier he's more interesting and so I'm cool with everything that they do with him um, and it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out back at the eye of the world Rand is revving up and channeling pulling power through the Sangreal resulting in a dissolving, and this is what I say is anticlimactic about this, of the Dark One. So annoying. Because again, the power that Rand has within him puts Nynaeve to shame. To shame, I tell you. And the way that they just made him seem so regular is just so annoying and absurd. Even for a man who's untrained, when he channels, it should be way more powerful to behold than anything Nynaeve did. And worse, he had the Sa'angrial, which would have amplified his power a thousandfold. This was very disappointing to me, truly. Like, I just was like, I was waiting to what, to see Rand channel. I was waiting because I was like, if that's what they're going to do with Nynaeve, what the hell are they going to do with Rand? Like, oh my God. Because like I said, Rand makes her look like a child in comparison. Okay. The only explanation I have is that I can think of, because I was like, why would they do it this way? Um, is that in the books, male channelers get increasingly stronger as they continue to use the power. So him being so untrained and so new to channeling, he wouldn't have fully exhibited his full strength. But let me tell you something, even from the very beginning, Rand was powerful. eh? He was not to be messed with and they did not give him or do him literally any justice. Like, with the Sa'angrial, it should have looked like the sun in Supernova. Like, that's what it should have looked like. I just, that was really disappointing to me, guys. Just super disappointing. At the keep, the women are decimating the Trolloc army. I mean, they are, holy crap. Uh, Lady Amalisa is calling down lightning and she is tearing their asses up. Okay. Um. But because she is no real experience with that much power, she doesn't know what that feels like being channeled through her. She draws too much through the women, causing them to begin burning out one by one. In a desperate moment, Nynaeve throws herself on Egwene because Egwene feels herself burning faster. That's because Egwene is not as powerful as Nynaeve, although Egwene is incredibly powerful. Egwene, so Nynaeve throws herself on Egwene to try to take some of the uh, the burden from her, which she does. And she says to her the same words that she said to her on the day she became a part of the women's circle in episode one, which I just was like, at this point, I'm literally freaking out. Like, I was already just like, what is going on with this episode? But at this point, I was like, if y'all dare kill Nynaeve, and if I'm seeing that, you already done know. Um... I'm done with the show. Like, and that's the second time I've said that this season. Um, 
there are characters who are allowed to die. None of the Emmons, none of the Emmons Fielder five can die on this show. Not one. Okay. When, when we wrap at the end of the series, every single last one of them suckers better be alive. Oh, okay. Kill off anyone else except for Moraine, except for Lan. And there's except for men and except for loyal. And so what this, that stabbing just, I just want to punch something. I'm so mad about that. Anyway. Um, so Nynaeve at this point appears to burn out and die at the same time as Amalisa, Lady Amalisa burns out and dies. Back to the stabbing. Okay. Really, really quickly. Here's something to know. Ogier are not violent by nature, but don't piss them off and don't attack them because they will lay your ass out. They will lay you out. So the fact that Padan got close enough to Loyal to stab him without a fight is just ridiculous. 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 It's one thing to change the way the way the character looks, but to to not show that he is a fierce he's a warrior and fierce within his own right, which I just hated it. <laughs> Really hated that. Hated it. Anyway, back at the eye, Rand is now awake. He's burnt off so-and-so's face, who smirked at the end, so clearly he just did exactly what he wanted him to do and tells Moraine to tell everyone that he's dead. He won't be returning, and he leaves. Shortly thereafter, Lan arrives. Moraine, being unable to lie, just kind of shakes her head when asked where Rand is. I have no idea at this point what they're going to do next. None. And again, this is a huge departure from the books. We're back at the at the at the keep now, or in front. Egwene is now grieving the loss of Nynaeve, bawling out her life, and she just kind of like tries. She tries channeling, and is actually successfully able to heal her. And Nynaeve comes back. So obviously, she was just on the brink of death, but not totally dead. But even though she looked like she was totally dead, so I don't know. Um, but what is annoying me about that is because healing is literally the hardest, most complicated thing to do in the books. Like if you don't heal properly, you can actually kill a person. Um, and they're out here just doing it without thinking. Like, I'm just like, they're powerful and all, but come on, like hella eye rolls. I was relieved because I would have been done with the show. Like I said, if Nynaeve had died, I would have been like, all right, I'll wait until I don't even know. I'll wait till this series is over then I'll watch it. But I'm taking my head and my heart out of this situation because I don't even want to know what you guys do next. This is ridiculous. Like I was just so annoyed. Um, from there, the episode ends on a jump to the Western shores where a young girl is playing on, on, on the beach. And you could see in the distance an, Amara, an armada appears on the horizon. And these channelers are on the deck of the boats and they are working together across the whole front line of the armada to create a massive tidal wave trouble is coming trouble is trouble with a capital t is coming okay anyway i'm not even gonna i'm not gonna tell you who they are though i know who they are i know why they are there but i'm just gonna say trouble Things are about to get thick, thick. Okay? Thick. Anyway, just to sum this up, this is my least favorite episode, which bookends the, the first episode of the season because I wasn't a big episode of episode. I wasn't a big fan of episode one either. But, you know, here we are. Season officially over. That was the review of episode eight. Next up, my favorite character moment. I can show you how. 
would let me go without you. You bring him back. You are a remarkable woman, Wisdom. Wisdom never weds. But if I go to Tavalon, it maybe I'll be something other than a wisdom. I will hate the man you choose. Because he's not me. And I will love him if he makes you smile. You are as beautiful as the sunrise. You are as fierce as a warrior. That's wisdom. Tell me how to find them. What is there not to love about that scene? What is there not to love about that scene? It was so heartfelt, so sweet, so endearing. And also because it's straight out of the books. So there is a moment where Lan does say that to her and it is in the first book. So I loved it. It just, it just, it gave me all the feels. It did everything that it needed to do. Loved it. So like I said, there's no hated character moment. So we're going to go jump right into a rating of the episode. Thank you. Carrie Ann Inabe. Nine! Lynn Goodman. Nine! So this episode has the lowest rating for me of the season, and that is a two out of five stars, two out of five. I, I just feel like they made up this entire thing. <laughs> I feel like they made up the entire episode. Granted the, the ending of the actual book of the eye of the world is a little bit wonky. Um, but there was a lot of rich material in there that they could have, they could have pulled at, um, especially I really had wanted to see the green man. That was when I reread the eye of the world right before the show started. That was one of the moments where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually really excited to see how they do this. And they cut the character straight out. And I literally was like, and I get it. It is a bit of ex, it is a bit ex of exposition, but I, it, it was cool. It, it, it was cool. I really wanted to see it anyway. Um, the other thing I really did not like was the fact that Loyal got stabbed and by Pat on fame, no less. Like, what? That really annoyed me. Um, the fact that Egwene and Nynaeve nearly died because of getting burned out by Lady Amalisa. Like, woman, you should have known yourself. Like, I just, there's just things I didn't, I loved what they did there, but I just did not like how that could have been so tragic and how it could have went the wrong way. Um... I'm really interested interested in seeing what happens next. I hate the fact that they killed off Lord Agomar and Lady Amalisa because they don't die in the books. Lord Agomar is there to the end. And uh, I, yeah, I just least and oh, the biggest, biggest issue, biggest is Rand and how and the manifestation of his power, they how they sh and the use of the Sa'angriel. How are you guys going to anyway, so if I say what I was about to say, it would be a huge, another big spoiler, but it's so far down the road that it, it doesn't make sense for me to even bring it up. But it does, in my mind, cause a problem for how they depict something, things that they do 
that he does in the future that require massive amounts of power and for him to be shown as being as powerful as he actually is because he is he's that dude and they're making him seem like he's just a punk and i really hate that i really hate it <laughs> like just over overall rand has not stepped out in this season I get why. If he had, we would have known from the very beginning. And this season was to reveal who this person was to the audience. I get that. But they just, they, that display with him and dude at the eye was trash. Sorry. I, I said it. It is what it is. It was trash. Up next, something a little lighter. Twitter, me laughing. Anyway, so you know what that means. Tweets about the show. So first up, at Preston, at Preston EDU1 tweeted, hashtag Twitter of time. Now that hashtag Wheel of Time is over for now, what should I watch next? And it's a gif and it's like, what do we do now? So what do we do now? That's exactly how I feel. I was watching The Witcher and I delayed watching episode eight of The Witcher for so long. Like I could have been done probably a week and a half ago and I delayed watching for so long because I just didn't want it to end. Like it's just like everything's ending. Mm-hmm. Um, at authentic me underscore V tweeted, bruh, Matt said, sorry, but no, hashtag the wheel of time. I thought that was really funny. So people are just, a lot of people are just now watching um the season and so there are tweets that are behind but i thought that was really funny at morgan tweeted finish season one of hashtag the wheel of time and damn that was good when does season two come out girl that's what we all want to know but just to let you guys know they're already in production on season two i'm i i think season three i have to confirm this i think season three has already been green green lit but season two they are in full production it's in full swing so season two is on its way at Greg underscore Lynn 9418 tweeted, Joya, they called her Joya just to torture us. The magnificent bloody bastards. Hashtag Twitter of time. Hashtag the wheel of time. That is totally a book spoiler. If you're a book reader, you know exactly why that 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 point is hilarious and relatable. Um, but I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you because hopefully you'll see it in season two. Um at Commander underscore B tweeted, what greater re- revenge against violence than peace? What greater revenge against death than life? My God, I am loving hashtag the wheel of time. Beautiful. That was one of my favorite scenes and favorite lines of the entire series, of the entire season. That was just so absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah, so I think that literally wraps it up. That's it. That was the final tweet of Twitter Me Laughing for my Wheel of Time review series, season 1B of the Obsessible Podcast that was totally only dedicated to the Wheel of Time. Thank you guys so much for coming back and listening week after week. Thank you for sharing. Um, I really had a huge uptick of listeners in the US, which is awesome. So shout out to all of my um, neighbors south of the border in the United States of America. Um, listening to the podcast. Thank you to all my Canucks. I I picked up a couple of listeners in the UK. So shout out to you guys. Um, I appreciate you. I will be back for a season two 
Um, there is lots more to come on the Obsessible podcast. And I actually think I will be doing full season reviews like this. Um, I really actually did enjoy this. And so look out for that. Uh, coming soon. Happy, happy new year and a blessed and prosperous 2022 to all of you. Much love. Bye.